Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that goes higher, further, faster, baby. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the let's get ready to rumble of the MCU. Yeah, that'll make sense to all you guys in a minute. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Captain Marvel. Okay, friends, buckle up, because Carol Danvers (laughs) is a wild fucking ride. She started out as a barely there romantic interest in somebody else's story, became an empowered superheroic face for women's lib in the 70s, sort of got character assassinated a couple of times and joined the X-Men in the 80s, got real misunderstood in the 90s and 2000s, (laughs) before finally getting rediscovered and almost recreated into a massive fan favorite in the 20-teens. Now look, I'm going to give a very bird's eye view of these changes, but if you really want to hear about it in depth, let me refer you to a series on my podcast, Superhero University, where I dived deep into Carol's backstory. And I did that by reading along with the story that relaunched her as Captain Marvel. If you're not interested in that storyline, then just go ahead and skip to session five, where I am joined by the fantastic and incredibly knowledgeable Sarah Sentry. That's right. I had to tag in help on Carol Danvers. (laughs) There will be a link in the show notes. Awesome. Carol begins her fictional life as an officer in the United States Air Force in charge of security at a restricted military base where she meets Dr. Walter Lawson, the human alias of Cree operative Captain Marvell. She becomes a kind of love interest for Marvell. Seriously, mm-hmm. it's weird. Read it. I can't say that they're not <laughs> love interests, but they're not not love interests. It's not. It's a it's a whole thing. I think that they probably couldn't decide exactly where they wanted to put her until she found herself endangered by Marvell's commanding officer, Jan Rog. She is saved by Marvell, but not before the psychomagnetron, a Cree wishing weapon, hear every bit of that, explodes, <laughs> bathing her and Marvell in its wish granting radiation. She emerged with oh powers God. and took on the name Ms. Marvel in honor of her connection to Marvell. Now, Ugh. oh no, this is that you've got to like get the historical context. This is the <laughs> 1970s. Ms. is an empowering name. Like, that is... Sure, and her entire identity coming from this man is also... (laughs) To be fair, he was missing, presumed dead most of the time that that she was Ms. Marvel, so she was honoring him as opposed to being a sidekick or something like that. You know, fine. I recognize that I have a slightly oversensitive feminist response to a lot of things. No, no, no. Listen, 99% of the time on this podcast, that has been the correct response. But this is the one of this is possibly the first time that I get to say, but hold on, it gets better. Sure. Okay, good. You see, during her time as Ms. Marvel, Carol Mm -hmm. was the editor of Woman Magazine, a publication under J. Jonah Jameson's publishing empire. Mm -hmm. It is 100% the Ms. Magazine of the Marvel Universe, and Uh Carol's work for the magazine and as Ms. Marvel was meant to reflect and comment on the women's liberation movement in a largely positive light. Okay, good. Yeah. See? Mm -hmm. For once, I get to say, but hold on, it gets better. (laughs) 
But then the 1980s come and it got a lot worse. Uh, some really fucked up shit happened with Carol that I am literally not going into because, oh, uh -huh. man, the trigger warnings. Oh, no. Um, but again, if you refer to Superhero University, you can hear all about it. And you will also mm -hmm. see some links to some uh, some articles that were, some of which were even written concurrently um, Ooh, by. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like it's a really big deal. OK. Uh, I would even have to give a trigger warning for the name of the article, but I swear it's very good and it actually, uh -huh. it doesn't fix her fictional problems, okay. uh, but it does show that people were commenting on it and taking it seriously in a way that maybe the writers were not, including awesome. another writer. Because mm -hmm. architect of the X-Men that you care about, Chris Claremont, <laughs> found that other storyline so distasteful that he brought Carol back in an mm -hmm. X book, had her fight Rogue, who absorbed all of Carol's powers and memories. Professor mm -hmm. X restores her memories. And then Carol goes and confronts the Avengers about them being extremely shitty friends because all they right. really should have saved her from the situation in which she found herself. Oh, mm -hmm. So she just rage quits whatever's left of the Avengers in the best possible way. <laughs> she right. becomes very X-Men adjacent and even goes to space with them where she's experimented on by the alien brood. Mm -hmm. These experimentations give her new powers and a new physical form when she uses them. She mm -hmm. called herself binary and continued to show up in various X-Books for a really long time. Okay. Now, I'm just like, I don't get to talk about that era enough. It is my mm -hmm. favorite era. I loved Carol Danvers mm -hmm. because of her time with the X-Men. And okay. so when we got into the 90s and she gets depowered somewhat mm -hmm. from her binary levels, she has to yes. rely on her Ms. Marvel powers again, which are essentially flying brick. Mm -hmm. She also rejoins the Avengers as Warbird. And there's a whole subplot with her struggling with alcoholism that I still can only see as people trying desperately to make her relevant again and missing the mark mm -hmm. pretty substantially. <laughs> and having come from a spot where I was pretty into it, I did not care for the Warbird era uh-huh okay yeah i really had been no fan of carols outside of her x-men shenanigans and literally nothing going on in the 90s was meant to change my mind okay <laughs> in the 2000s she continues as warbird and leads a team of avengers but also a strike force that takes out super villains before they become global threats honestly mm -hmm. i haven't read much of that i'm just gonna lay that on the line but it sounds like something i wouldn't like very much I mean, right. Tony Stark deciding who's dangerous ahead of time and sending a kill team of Avengers. Not great. Mm -hmm. Not great. But she does play a pretty serious role in Secret Invasion, a story about the scrolls infiltrating Earth at every level, including superheroes. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely tell how that was worked into this movie, even if she wasn't as close to the version of herself that we get in this movie. And frankly, mm -hmm. the scrolls are pretty different than the ones we get in this movie, too. So Now, Secret Invasion, is that related to like the Secret Wars or is that an entirely different secret? It is an entirely different secret, um, <laughs> but it is playing upon the fact that Marvel has wars and secret uh -huh. things, right? I mentioned this okay. before. DC yes. has crises. 
Uh-huh. Marvel has wars, and this time uh-huh. they went with secret invasion because it wasn't a full-scale war. It was the Skrulls trying to, like, low-key, quietly take over Earth. And did they have that shape-shifting thing so that they could kind of blend in and nobody knew who they were? Yes, that is absolutely. Okay. I mean, that is the Skrulls deal. We'll talk about them more here in a okay. little bit. All but right. yeah, that's what they were doing. And in fact, some prominent superheroes had apparently been Skrulls for decades of real-time stories. Wow. Well, that's decades of real time, like internal chronology. That's anywhere from uh, five years to 10 minutes. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the scale slides. Remember, Cap yeah, first came yeah. out of the out of the ice in the late 60s originally, mm-hmm. where it was like, oh, mm-hmm. I've only been gone a minute. It's like 20 <laughs> years. That's nothing, you know. And now it's like, well, I was in the ice for 80 years. Sure. The, mm-hmm. the scale slides. Yes. She also kind of died when Norman Osborn engineered a fight between her and Moonstone that resulted in Moonstone taking on the Ms. Marvel name to be part of Osborn's Dark Avengers. Mm-hmm. This all brings us to the 2010s. Carol returns to life both literally and figuratively. Carol is recorporated in fiction just in time for writer Kelly Sue DeConnick, who makes a cameo in this film, I might add, to take oh, yeah. over the character. Mm-hmm. DeConnick revitalized Carol by having her take on the Captain Marvel mantle, getting a much-needed costume upgrade, and beginning to lean on her character traits as a pilot who always wanted to go higher, further, and faster, baby, <laughs> even as an Avenger and a superhero. In fact, mm-hmm. higher, further, faster, more is the name of that first story arc uh-huh. that revitalized and kind of brought Carol back from the Warbird years. God. <laughs> the Warbird years. <laughs> Now, I don't want to give anything away because most of that story is legit amazing and a great new take and kind of distillation of the character. It's also the one I talk about in the other podcast. So if you really want to hear about it, go Mm -hmm. listen. But there is one big retcon that I think is deeply unnecessary at this point, and that's that she's apparently actually half Cree. Okay. Guys, it's going to go away. Just ignore it. Just ignore it. (laughs) The accidentally absorbed a bunch of Kree stuff from Marvel from a Kree wishing weapon is a much better Mm -hmm. deal. Uh, She was also kind of the Tony Stark for Civil War II. Mm -hmm. But overall, you know, if you can ignore those two things, the world is Carol's oyster. And this movie only cements that fact across multimedia. (laughs) I really like the modern version of Carol, but I mean, I get really excited about it because I basically loved her when she was with the X-Men for a while. And I mean, listen, Mm -hmm. this may be hard for people to believe, but when I was a kid, I was like all X-Men all the time, man. So Okay. Does she have a personality in the comic books as opposed to the movie? She has one in the comics (laughs) and the movie. We'll talk about it in a minute. Quit jumping the lane. (laughs) So Marvel. Mm-hmm. The Marvel of the 616 is, first of all, a man. Mm-hmm. While on Earth, he went by Walter Lawson rather than Wendy and often acted as a costumed hero that the public called Captain Marvel because they misheard mm-hmm. how he said his name. Oh, huh. When the Kree first interacted with humans, they sent Marvel to try and confirm if Earth would be a threat to the Kree Empire. After coming to the aid of humanity several times and bucking against his commanding officer, Jan Rog, Marvel was declared a traitor to the Kree and sentenced to death. That didn't take, but it did leave him trapped in the negative zone. Mm-hmm. Eventually, via the Negabands, Marvel would sort of share a body with Hulk sidekick Rick Jones. 
Okay. When Rick hit hit the bands together, it summoned Marvell from the negative zone, and the reverse would happen when Marvell banged the bands together himself. Uh-huh. This is a nod towards the original Captain Marvel, who is not at all affiliated with Marvel Comics. Marvel would have a lot of cosmic adventures with the Avengers, but I'm going to skip over all of that to his big finish because we don't get a lot of him in this mm-hmm. movie. So, you know, big finish in what Marvel claims is the first ever graphic novel. Extremely dubious claim. <laughs> Just a little shaky. The ground is a little shaky. But what they claim is the first ever graphic novel, The Death of Captain Marvel, Marvel died of mm-hmm. cancer. Now, I do not for one second want to make light of cancer, but you are a superhero of cosmic proportions. Well, also Cree. Like, it's it seems also like Cree. a... Also do, do Cree. Do Cree get, get cancer? human diseases? I mean, I guess... I... Yeah. <laughs> I wish that everybody listening could just see your facial expression right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, that uh-huh. story is actually yeah. pretty good and it's very heartfelt and there's a lot of pathos in that stuff. But I'm also like, he has the name of your company <laughs> and you killed him with cancer. Yeah. Like it's a little yeah. and, and just I don't know, just the, the, the gears grind for me a little bit. I don't know. I can understand that. Mm-hmm. This paved the way for a lot of other Captains Marvel because <laughs> Marvel never wanted to stop using the name, but they couldn't quite land on anybody that they loved, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. until Carol got it like she goddamn well should have been in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I'm not as mad about that as I might be, since if she'd been Captain Marvel, she couldn't have been binary, which uh, I reiterate is my favorite Carol shit. Okay. okay. the Cree the Cree I'm very curious about this (laughs) if only the screenwriters were (laughs) I I mean I I don't know throw that shade Unruh well that shade started in Guardians of the Galaxy where Mm. knowing something about the Kree actually would have added quite a lot to what was going on there. Like, Mm -hmm. just knowing anything about the Kree would have answered all the why Ronin, right? They're just like blue bad guys for the most part. Yeah. How they're represented in the movies. They're just blue bad guys, right? Yeah. Or blue absent in Guardians Mm -hmm. except for Ronin. Mm -hmm. But again, so I will explain. Okay. So, again, mentioning Guardians and Ronan the Accuser, I have talked a little bit about the Kree before. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into how Ronan is wasted in a second film. I am instead mm-hmm. actually going to tell you about the Kree. So, the Kree are kind of low-key Marvel Kryptonians. Mm-hmm. Yes, that means that the original Captain Marvel is both a low-rent Superman and a low-rent Fawcett Captain Marvel. Fawcett being the company that originally published Captain Marvel. Okay. I'm just throwing these out there, and if you want to ask any questions or get to make this make more sense for yourself or anyone listening, you feel free. <laughs> I'm just riding along. <laughs> right. So throw up your hand if we hit a pothole that doesn't sit right with you. And a bunch of Captains Marvel could do that because, man, there have been a couple. Mm-hmm. So this also means that the Kree are the assholes of Marvel space, just like Kryptonians right. are the assholes of DC space. Mm-hmm. Although, to be honest, most of the spacefaring races in Marvel are assholes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that may include humanity. But the Kree really next leveled that assholes of space shit. <laughs> My favorite description of their societal philosophy is Zen fascism. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty great. 
High five, Grant Morrison. All right. They're a military dictatorship that is a million years old. Uh The majority of those years, they were led by an organic computer called the Supreme Intelligence. Mm -hmm. The Supreme War is an amalgamation of all the greatest minds of the Kree Empire. It is a giant gelatinous green face in a massive jar. And it is fucking cowardice that we didn't get a glimpse of that in this movie. Asterisk, I have seen a cutscene where we did get just a glimpse of it. And again, I say, cowardice! <laughs> the Kree become starfaring when the scrolls landed on Hala and offered to help them get technologically advanced enough to traverse space so that they could join the scrolls' extremely peaceful training empire. There's mm-hmm. no sarcasm there. It was an extremely peaceful empire based only on mercantilism. Okay. That's why they would show up at planets and be like, you guys seem pretty cool. You got some shit that you can trade. Would you like to go faster than light? (laughs) There was a contest between the Kree and the Kotati, the plant people who also lived on Hala and who I have mentioned before as being tied to Mantis. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a contest between them with the scrolls as judge and the Cree felt that they should definitely win. And it looked like mm-hmm. they might not. So before mm-hmm. a winner could even be announced, they killed all the scrolls, stole their Aww. ship to reverse engineer FTL travel, and then tried to hunt the Kotati to extinction. And really, that's the Cree in a nutshell right there. Like just They are space assholes. Oh, this is when they're still just like Terran assholes. Like they're still stuck on their planet and they're complete dicks. Other than being assholes, the other big problem Mm -hmm. with the Kree is that they pissed off the crystal of ultimate vision. Don't ask. And the crystal retaliated. (laughs) See, other times I invite you to ask with this one. I'm just like cruise past it for real. Just cruise past it. And the crystal retaliated against them by locking their genetic potential. They are already highly evolved, but they will evolve no further as the crystal felt that it was justice for their overreach that the rest of the universe would simply evolve past them and leave them behind. A lot of the Empire's energy and effort has gone to trying to unlock their genetic potential again. This Mm -hmm. has resulted in, uh, frankly, a lot of having sex with aliens. I mean, there's other stuff, too, but I'm going to mention that because that's what resulted in a pink-skinned offshoot of the Cree that look more like Earth Caucasians. Aha. Uh-huh. The pure-breed blue-skinned Cree are a powerful minority, but are much less physically hardy than their pink cousins. So in addition to being speciest assholes, they're also racist assholes of space. <laughs> I was wondering about that because like all of my exposure to the Kree has been Ronan the Accuser and Guardians and then what they've done on Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., a lot of which we haven't watched yet. Um, But it's always blue assholes, basically. Um, So I was wondering why so many of these Kree in this movie, you know, appeared human. You know, yeah, I'm going to lay it on the line. I think that they fucked up not making Yon Rog blue. Like, I kind of think that Jude okay. Law was like, I'm not wearing all that fucking paint. Because <laughs> because if you go by what what we know from the 616, like the blues mm-hmm. are really like the massive minority, but they're also the ones who hold most of the power. Oh, minority power. What's that like? <laughs> I, I mean, again, hold up the mirror yeah. of fiction, friends. <laughs> The only thing keeping us from being the assholes of space is the space. All right. <laughs> now, I, uh-huh. I, in the interest of completion, yes. I should mention that all the other Kree in this movie and the Star Force, 
Mm-hmm. They're all somebody in the comics, okay? But we okay. all have shit to do, and I'm not okay. running them down here because they weren't really that interesting or important in this movie. And in okay. fact, the thing that I most noticed about them in this movie is when they got lazy with the names. His name oh, is Atlas, yeah. not Atlas. Her name is Minerva, <laughs> not Minerva. For fuck's sake, you guys. Like there's a space and a hyphen in there. Come on. Yon Rog, Marvel. Minerva. <laughs> Fuck you, lazy fucks. All right. That really bothered me. I'm just going to, I don't know why. That really That's stuck okay. in my craw. That's okay. Let's talk about these scrolls. Sure. Let's talk about the scrolls. So the scrolls, as I mentioned, started out as peaceful traders who wanted to mm-hmm. create a mercantile empire. Their ability sure. to shapeshift comes from when the celestials experimented on them, just mm-hmm. like they would eventually do to Earth humans. So I've mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. So on Earth, you got regular humans, eternals, and deviants. Mm-hmm. Same thing on uh, Scrollos. You got prime skulls, like the original flavor, mm-hmm. deviants, and eternals. Unlike Earth, the Deviants won on Skrullos. And the reason they won is that their unstable genetic matrix is what allowed them to shapeshift. So they were able to infiltrate the other camps and, you know, basically fuck them over, you know, (laughs) take over. Um, The Eternal Skrull, the last, the first and last Eternal Skrull, becomes Mm -hmm. one of the gods of the Skrull people alongside the first Deviant Skrull. There's like one Prime Skrull left too, but who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. (laughs) The shape-shifting ones are the ones you gotta keep your eye on. All right. (laughs) As I said, they started out as peaceful traders and were happy to give their technology away to anyone that they came in contact with. This Mm -hmm. backfired on them with the Kree, who murdered their emissary, stole their tech, and declared war on them. The Kree Scroll War went on for thousands of years, and eventually the Scrolls grew the kind of mean streak necessary to war against the Kree. Yeah. This is why they're largely considered villainous by the time they come into contact with Earth, mm-hmm. which they have tried to infiltrate and take over more than once. <laughs> but then again, so have the Kree. Mm-hmm. You know, so honestly, it's a wonder that 616 Earth is still a free agent, but <laughs> apparently the ability to repulse Galactus the world eater more than once tends to carry some fucking weight intergalactically speaking. <laughs> the move to make them refugees persecuted by the Kree is not really in tune with mm-hmm. very many of the 616's facts, but it makes a lot of thematic sense. Uh, because their home world is now currently destroyed and they are massively reduced yeah. in population. So are the Kree, incidentally. Uh-huh. I don't want to talk about that because I kind of think that that stuff might wind up as a future movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's too serious and good for James Gunn to do it in Guardians, but Guardians would actually be the place. That, anyway, I'm not going to talk uh-huh. much about it, but. It makes thematic sense with where they are now, right? And I think that it also works in the movie really well for those of us who showed up thinking we knew some shit. (laughs) Because at the beginning, when they're talking about scrolls are the bad guys, I was like, yeah, but Kree are assholes too. So this is all going to even out. And then it flips and I was like, oh, damn, the scrolls are the good guys. I loved that. One of the things that I loved in this movie. Okay. A couple of quick honorable mentions. The cute little girl, Monica Rambeau. Mm-hmm. Much like Cassie Lang, I acknowledge that Monica exists and is a character in the 616, but I'm not saying much else, except that she was one of the other people who took the name Captain Marvel between mm-hmm. Marvel and Carol. I expect we'll see some more of Monica in the future. Mm-hmm. Also, Goose. <laughs> in the comic, his name is Chewie, and he's only uh-huh. ever been Carol's. 
But he's also a monster called the Flurkin who can swallow literally anything because all Flurkin has a pocket dimension inside them that's accessed through their mouths. Really, I just wanted to correct the fucking record. Carol is canonically a big Star Wars nerd and named her cat that turned out to be a terrifying alien monster, Chewbacca. Okay, well, I like that. Goose is more in keeping with this film's kind of time frame and the Top Gun mm-hmm. and all that shit. But I just want to say sure. that motherfucker's name is Chewy. You guys. I had a ginger cat when I was little around Top Gun. Not little, teenager. When around Top Gun came out. Around when Top Gun came out. That was actually named Goose. So Ooh. I kind of appreciated that. Yes. No, no. Yeah. It makes so much more sense. But yeah. canonically, 616 Canon- Carol, no, I get giant it. Star Wars dork. I get it. I yeah. get it. And that's great because that actually has a sense of, um, what is it she's missing from? Oh, personality. Yeah, right, that's not true. Movie. That's not. We're going to have that, that conversation entire. in just a minute. But first, let's just talk about the production history, which is absolutely something that we can both agree on with this movie. Captain Marvel was released on March 8th, 2019. It was written by just like a million fucking people. Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck, Geneva Robertson, Dwarit, Nicole Perlman, and Meg LaFave. Also with Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck and Geneva Robertson, Dwarit. That's the story. So we had a lot of hands in the soup here. And I'm not surprised. It's a terrible fucking movie. All right. It's not terrible. You don't. Hey, listen. (laughs) Hey, holes. You don't have to take this slander and lies. All right. Look, I will say there's some of the movie that I like. We'll get to that in a minute. It was directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck together. Uh, Box office, $1.1 billion. Um, On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 78% with critics and a 48% audience rating, which... Makes a little more sense to me because it's not a good movie. Uh, that 48% is almost entirely... You cannot entirely... blame it all on misogynism. Uh, no, no. You cannot oh. blame it all on misogyny. Okay, well, that's a weird free space. The first thing we aren't blaming on patriarchy. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me, sister. So I was sure, paying I'm attention sure. to the discourse. The usual suspect showed up and tanked that shit. I'm sure that they did. 48% it doesn't deserve. But it is also not... There's a lot of stuff about this movie that's just plain fucking bad. (laughs) All right. So before we get into this argument, this is the reason why Joshua said let's get ready to rumble at the beginning. Because this is just a bad... Okay. The first half is bad. Because Lonnie thinks this is a bad movie. Okay, first of all, I do think it's a bad movie, and I'm not just saying I think it's a bad movie, so it's bad. I'm going to give you textual fucking evidence why this is a bad movie. Um, but the the reality of it is, though, the narrative movement itself, I don't really mind once we hit the middle. You know, I like the scroll turn. I like the what, what that does, how that complicates our sense of, of who is good and who is bad in this movie. Um, I, it's an origin story. You know, but we don't learn the origin until she does. And I kind of like that. I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. a little different. We also don't spend way too much time doing that, that um, like backstory thing. We are in the shit of the story when she learns about her, her origin, how this happened to her. So I love that. Um, so there's like things that I like. And once we get into the middle of the movie, um, I like it a lot more. The first half of the movie, I hate with such a fiery 
passion. Um, and I have a whole thing about why the MCU Captain Marvel is a bad character. And you can rebut in just a minute, but I have the floor right now. I, I, um, I'm prepared to I, I'm prepared right. to wait. Right. First of all, I'm not talking about the comic books. I don't know the comic books. I don't care about the comic books. This is the movie. She is in this narrative. It's who she is here. One, she's not interesting. She has absolutely no personality. She has no fun. She has no humor. On occasion, she laughs, but that doesn't necessarily mean she's like, you know, funny. But worst of all, she has no real vulnerability. Everything in this is informed. We are told that she's so emotional and she's not. And I realize that Jan Rog is gaslighting her, but we don't know that until like the middle of the movie when we have that turn. So this whole time, we have this entire movie that's supposed to be about this female empowerment in which a fucking man is telling a woman that she is irrational and emotional um, when she is clearly not. We have this woman whose whole history has been erased. She doesn't know who she is, and we don't see any real vulnerability about it. Again, we are informed about it, like, oh, look, I have no past, but we don't see that in her. She's just trying to figure it out, like a mystery or like Sudoku, you know? The only good thing is her relationship with Maria, which, by the way, should have been a romantic relationship. If Maria had been her one true love and that kid had been her kid, that would have put some real personal stakes in this relationship. But instead, we have this, like, BFF thing. And when Carol comes back from the dead, the response from Maria is like, the response from Maria is like, okay, cool. You know, best friend or one true love, when they come back from the dead, we show emotion. And there's almost nothing here from Maria until they're sitting down and we get into the what's hard discussion. But it still falls flat for what should be intense emotional impact. But once we have Maria and Monica involved, it gets a lot better because at least we have some kind of emotional anchor, some place for for Carol to connect with and try to remember. But the whole thing is just she's flat and she's we're going to get to the overpowered argument. I saved that for the end. <laughs> but I just I do not understand what it is about this character that you find engaging because she's just a big wet piece of cardboard for me. So actually, like, I'm really interested in hearing your defense because I kind of want to see what you see, but I just don't. What's interesting is that most of what you said is a feature, not a bug. Um, like it's there to no. do the job when she is clearly not over emotional, but is constantly being told that she's over emotional. We're supposed to go, hey, wait, that's weird. She doesn't seem over emotional at all. Perhaps Jan Rog is full all. of shit. At she all. does actually have quite a lot of dry humor. It just looks like no humor compared to the rest of the shut the fuck up you quippy assholes Mar uh, Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. Okay. I mean, the rest of the MCU, by and large, never met a quip that hit the fucking cutting okay, room floor. Look, Captain America, Cap is not terribly quippy. He is, but he actually has personality. You see vulnerability from him. You see what he's lost, right? We don't see any of that from Carol. Carol is this flat, dry Nothing. I, listen, I don't agree with flat and dry. She is funny. She, she is, is unsalted water crackers. She is. Uh, there's just yeah, I don't nothing see it. to I don't her. See it. Like she's not I don't a quippy see where bastard you're like she's everybody else. She doesn't have to be quippy. Apparently, not all of the characters the that are great are quippy. In the MCU. Not all of them are quippy. There are some great quippy. characters. I, I, I Again, I put Cap. 
I put Sam. I don't think Sam is terribly quippy. I mean, Not Stark is quippy. quippy. And it Stark depends on who's quippy. in charge. Quill is quippy. Yeah, you know, fair enough. But I mean, <laughs> overall, no, that was for me no. too. It's worth remembering that it depends who's in charge. If <laughs> we, if Whedon sitting in the director's chair, all of a sudden, yeah. Cap's cracking jokes. Everybody's quippy right. with Whedon. Yes, Whedon is a quipper. But, um, but in general, no, I don't think that that's the case, and I don't think that that excuses the fact that Carol Danvers has absolutely no emotional stakes. She has no emotional register. She is flat throughout the whole thing. She's I just given reject no that personality. Premise. I just don't see it. I just I don't, don't see, it. see now, any personality now, that she has. The the difficulty of the emotional connection is that she's not actually trying to solve her past. Through mm-hmm. most of the movie, she is trying to stop the scrolls and thinks they put stuff in her head. That's why she's not reacting to thinking she remembers stuff. She thinks they did it to her. But if it's a real memory, shouldn't? But that's the thing. If it's a real memory, it should trigger some emotion in her. She should be having an emotional experience. Who knows what the Kree did to her to suppress all that? Like, I'm not saying that they couldn't have gone a little harder on that. But the fact that she actually starts to be the person that people remember, like to be Carol Danvers mm-hmm. instead of Veers, happens partly after she realizes the scrolls were not, in fact, trying to fool her, that they were trying to unlock stuff. She's Maybe walking through this bit. thinking that she has been completely compromised and undermined by foreign agents. And she is now a essentially a warrior behind enemy lines, not mm-hmm. knowing who to trust, including herself. Now, they don't play that hard it's not the born identity right mm-hmm. because 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 every mcu movie has to have 97 too many things going on right, <laughs> right. we could have done most of this movie look i like baby fury it's... too but we could have done without him we could have done without it okay yeah i mean i right? like I mean, baby I'm fury saying, i like baby uh, colson sure right i'm just pointing out every single mcu movie like almost mm-hmm. every one of them has too much going on Yes, fair enough. And I think that that is working against Captain Marvel because, again, I'm sitting there the very first time I saw it and I was like, she's not emotional at all. I think Yon Rog's full of shit. You get to the Mm -hmm. halfway point and I was like, what do you know? Right? Yeah, well, no, but like the thing is, is that women are gaslit with that shit all the time. Which is the point. So when I'm watching it, no, I get that it's the point, but I live through, I don't know, 60 minutes of that bullshit without having any faith that that was not a complete rubber stamp from this movie. So as you're living through that, we've got this character with, I don't even know where you're seeing personality, I'm seeing none. Every other Marvel movie has eight gazillion things going on. It's overpacked suitcase, every single one of them, and I get that. But that doesn't excuse you not writing this character. Now, I also understand that everybody loves loves this movie and I'm the only one that seems to hate it. Oh, no, so, no. There's like know, 48% of people. You're fine. No, there's 48% of misogynists. It's, <laughs> I don't hate it because she's a woman. Oh, that's not what... I was trying to make you feel better not lump you in with the... I thought we weren't blaming patriarchy for this. I need a program. No, what I'm saying is that there are legitimate reasons to hate this movie, and I appear to be the only person who sees them. So everybody out there who loves this movie, don't worry about it. You got Joshua to hear to carry your banner. I just think that most of the things you hate are all done 100% on purpose. I still think they're bad. It makes a bad character. It's a bad protagonist. It's a bad protagonist when she doesn't care. Like, the protagonist should have the most at stake and the most to lose. But they also have to fucking care about it. She doesn't care. She does not appear to care about anything. She cares very much about stopping the scrolls. 
Right, because yes. she has a job to do. She's a soldier doing a job. There is not a personal element to this. Even when she discovers her history and her one true love, who I am sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree up. with that. I agree with that. I can definitely agree with that. I came out of there going, well, why the hell didn't she kiss Maria? This is bullshit. So. She and Maria, had they been in love, had Monica been her kid, then I would have been completely like that would have been at least given her some emotional stakes. But even the emotional stakes that they give her with this best friend and this kid are a couple of degrees removed. And she does not seem to care. She's just cool and calm and collected. And she's a soldier with a job to do the whole time. She has no emotional resonance in this whole thing. And it drives me crazy. Um, and then at the end, here we are. She's in this big battle. All she has to do is take off this freaking device on her neck with no consequence for taking it off. Why didn't she take it off before? She thought you know, it was the source of her powers. How does she how does she figure it out? How does she like it's such a stupid thing. She gets her Why memory back not and then realizes. That? Because she just... woke up getting a transfusion of Cree blood, which, by the way, is what makes her more physically durable. And so if they say right. to her, you're stronger, you're faster, you're tougher, and we gave you sparkle fists. Because wh of this Why thing. would you question the sparkle fists? Because by the time she's in with the Supreme Intelligence, she's already been she's already known she's known for a while she's already up in space fighting them she had plenty of time to take that thing off not to mention the fact that it's just as unsatisfying as oh by the way dorothy you've been wearing the fucking shoes the whole time you could have clicked them way back when you know and gone back um it's just as unsatisfying as the wizard of oz which i also hate um wow unexpected yeah. revelations I don't like The Wizard of Oz, and I don't like It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know, and I don't like The Muppets. Apparently, there's just part of my heart that is a black No, no, no. I just don't think the magic was inside you all along is inherently bad. Um, I'm not a big is, fan. It is a little delayed for the purposes of the big scene with the Supreme Intelligence for her right. to realize it. But at the same time... You got to think about she's got a lot of new stuff like flying at her. And if she's always just like background, oh, that's where my powers come from. There Even after she gets her memory back. Before no. we get to that point, there should be a question. We should have a moment where she's like, well, I can't take this off because it'll kill me. So that when we have or whatever it is that when we have this moment where she takes it off, it shows an extreme faith in herself that we need to have for this to pay off emotionally. And it just doesn't. Um, and then she takes it off and she is overpowered as fuck. We'll get to that in just a minute. Um, and then I don't know. I don't know why I'm on the I'm on the fence with this, but the I'm just a girl song playing in the background while she beats the fucking hell out of everybody. On the one hand, I like it and I get it. And on the other hand, it feels pandery to me. And it just it 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 grates on me. But I'm, I'm not sure about that. It's, <laughs> it's just I, I think I'm graded at that point to where anything they did, I would have been annoyed. It's hard for me to speak directly to a sure. woman's reaction obviously oh, absolutely but mm -hmm. that is very much if you listen to every other song you hear there are no uh, except for the nirvana song which by the way all right as far as shameful <laughs> possibly deal-breaking <laughs> confessions 
Nirvana sucks. They've always sucked. <laughs> and the best thing that happened from Nirvana was all the bands we got out of Nirvana. What's mm -hmm. more, timing-wise, Carol shouldn't know that song. So it's there uh, for no reason. And every other popular song that they use in the movie is by at least a woman-fronted group. Yes. So by the time I get to uh, I'm Just a Girl... Mm -hmm. I'm sort of, I'm not, I don't know if I was expecting I'm just a girl, but I mean, I'm expecting 90s girl-led, or at least woman-fronted, yeah. if not entire mm -hmm. woman bands, right? That's bands. what I'm expecting. Mm -hmm. So I can't speak to like that kind of reaction, but also remember that it's superhero movie, and so I'm like, subtlety? Never fucking met them. <laughs> You know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. And honestly, I was I was so split down the middle. Part of me, like half of me loved it and half of me was so pissed off by that point that just anything they did would have, would have irritated me. So I, I, I'm I kind of on the fence with that. Um, I know I'm going to get added about that Nirvana shit all fucking day, by the way. And that's fine. Oh. Come at me. I've been doing this since 1990. What the fuck ever. Grunge oh my was God. a mistake. Are you kidding me? And also, I am going to be... <laughs> And also it was a mistake in this movie because uh -huh. every other song was a right. woman fronted band. And I like that thematically. I like it as something mm -hmm. of a statement. And then yes. we've got to get this fucking thing come strolling through here, just dropping its fucking flannel all over the floor. Pocket. <laughs> it. Look, if you get more shit about Nirvana than I get about hating Captain Marvel, I will be very surprised. Oh, I'm not taking that bet. <laughs> All right, so let me talk about the good stuff, the stuff that I liked. I actually really liked the scrolls. I liked the scrolls. Yeah. I liked that turn from villain to ally. It's very cool. The we just want a home thing, seeing things from their perspective rather than believing all the lies that have been told because she had been told a lot of lies and had been sold a lot of shit in a lot of areas, you know. Um, and I actually really liked uh, like Talos. I thought that he was very very cool. Um, so I really enjoyed. Him. Yeah, I, I, love, I love I love I love the very cool suit that he's wearing as he's explaining why he stole faces and did the things that he did. And he's like, but now now I know who you are. So no, it's totally new deal now. It's just I really, really liked him. Um I loved uh I love Maria. She's like, it's just basic physics. You know? Right. <laughs> My science guy. Okay, Maria was good, Monica was great. I loved the two of them. I thought that they were great. I wanted them to be more significant to Carol, but in and of themselves as characters, they made the story. The story, as soon as she gets there, from that point forward, the story is Bearable. I mean, Captain Marvel herself still sucks, but like the the story and the movement and the characters and everything becomes just a, so much better at that point. It's okay, listeners. You don't have to believe it. It's not. She's it's so not terrible. It's okay. It's oh okay. dear God! I don't just, even understand. Just I feel like the whole teeth. world is gaslighting me with the way that they love this character because she's fucking awful. Um, so it'll be okay, Monica. Friends. Monica, I love I love this moment where she says, "I just want you to consider what kind of example you're setting for your daughter." Oh yeah. Come on. <laughs> She's the best. And when she changes the color of Carol's suit, I like the way she does that. I like the suit, um, you know, changing into these like classic Captain Marvel colors, you know, these classic America colors. It was really, really great. Classic Captain Marvel comic book covers, too. The one that was really mm -hmm. white with green accents is oh, very yeah? close to the suit that Marvel wore 
before he got oh. fashion sense. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. how sweet. Okay, but here's my question though. Originally, the color for these changing, these color changing Cree suits were green, right? Is that yeah. supposed to, because isn't green a villain color? Is that supposed to tip us off that they're bad? Okay, so typically, I've, I've talked about this a little bit, like yeah. the, the mm-hmm. little bit of color theory of superheroes. But yeah, typically, right. there are some colors that wound up mm-hmm. being villainous colors because they are you know, opposites on the, or if not actual opposites, because I'm never good at the color wheel, but I mean, they're, yeah. they're, um, yeah. they're the contrast, right? Right. So mm-hmm. your classic example is you've got, uh, actually there's two really good classic examples and they are, color schemes are identical. It's kind of nice. Um, yeah. On one side of the street, we've got Superman, red, blue, a little bit of yellow thrown in there. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the street, we have Spider-Man, red and blue, right? Mm-hmm. Their biggest, baddest bad guys Lex Luthor and the Green Goblin both wear purple and green because those mm-hmm. are going to contrast really well on covers. Sure. And you're going to go, that's a bad guy right there. Right. He's fighting the guy mm-hmm. who's obviously good. So traditionally, yes. But this gets twisted around a little bit. Um, we're never actually going to see a good Iron Fist costume, but Iron mm-hmm. Fist has a couple of really good costumes that are green and yellow. Traditional and villain Hulk colors. Hulk is green. Hulk is green. Hulk's also a villain usually. Oh, is is wait what? Okay, wait a minute. He's usually a villain. How did wait I not pick this up? Wait a minute. Okay, I thought he was always a hero. Okay, maybe wait, I we can did be a Hulk episode. Maybe I can be pushed to anti-hero, but the guy <laughs> is a fifty-ton rage monster that can knock over Delaware in a half an hour. And right, does but he's so. one of the Avengers. He's like always a hero, and the and um, Bruce Banner doesn't want him to. I didn't realize. Oh, you're he's really a forgetting. You're not okay. Villain is maybe a little strong. Okay, but I okay. mean, I don't think so. Like most of the time, he's just knocking shit over and breaking stuff and wrecking people. <laughs> and about fifty wow. percent of the time, it's the right person, and the other. Okay. Like, look, I, I wish I could remember what the context was now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it was for Thor Ragnarok when I when I mentioned he yeah. accidentally knocked over Las Vegas. Oh, <laughs> does this sound well, like a heroic right, choice to you? Well, no, but it's accidental. Like that's the thing. Like there's something it's accidental he can't because he's a toddler. <laughs> he's a rage toddler. He's a rage toddler <laughs> with the power of a multiple megaton bomb. I mean, it's okay. This is what that, right. when I said accident, I meant because the Hulk is an accident. <laughs> But you'll note, he also wears purple pants. Green and purple, green and purple. Right, right, right. right? Yeah. Villainous, yeah. not good. At least it's supposed to set him off from the majority of the rest of the squad, right? Right. So typically, yes, green mm-hmm. is not a color that we would normally associate with heroes. I may right. have also mentioned the creator, the assholes of space. So This is true. Yeah. Right. But in the beginning of this, though, everybody's wearing these green outfits and we are we are led to believe that the Cree are good. Uh, they're, they're Carol's, you know, Noble comrades. warrior heroes, right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why it seems. Um, so I thought that, no, that, that was kind I of interesting. I think that's a hint, too, actually. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little, there's a lot of really clever blinds you know, mm-hmm. with the Cree and the scroll. Again, for right. those of us that showed up with some genre savviness or knowing something about the thing. Um, and also we've seen, uh, just looking at the MCU, which is a much smaller sampling pool mm-hmm. than the 616, we've had a lot more uh, like green people that are in positions of, of heroism. And right. and so, you know, and also honestly, uh, another one of my big MCU complaints is that the entire color palette across the board is too muted all the time. Mm-hmm. So contrast is much less 
Sure. A, a concern in that way, like in the costuming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I don't know how much that factored into the trickery, you know, kind mm-hmm. of aspect. But yeah, you are right to notice that it's like, it's hey, these visual allegedly heroic people certainly are wearing a lot of villain colors. Why are they wearing green? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I know. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, I th- and that was something I never would have picked up if not for you. Well, so you've, ta- you've taught me a thing. I absorbed some things. <laughs> a dubious piece of information to add to your repertoire, but here we are. All right. I like the cat. I like the flirkin. Um, sure. It's, it's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, and a cat that follows along with the crowd is not believable, but then again, it's not really a cat. Right. Um, it's a flirkin, and flirkins do whatever flirkin. the fuck they love, want. I love that it has a pocket dimension. Yeah, in its belly. <laughs> Sort of. It's just, it's so, it's really, really cute. It was really fun. I'm going to tell you yeah. something real quick about Chewy. Yes. Not Goose, yes. but Chewy that I think you'll yes. enjoy. I, I mm-hmm. forget exactly when Carol got him, but he'd mm-hmm. been around real world for, yeah. I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years or something, mm-hmm. right? Like he wasn't always, you know, prominent, but she had a cat. Right. We knew she had a cat. Mm-hmm. We knew his name was Chewy. Um, she did not find out he was a flurkin until after that big revitalization project with Deconic. And then Deconic okay. did a new story where she went solo into space all mm-hmm. on her own. She was like the space Avenger. And she took okay. Chewie with her. And Rocket is the one mm-hmm. who took one look at it and was like, what the fuck is this monster doing in your ship? <laughs> and she was like, it's a cat. You're a raccoon. Uh-huh. And he's like, you call me a raccoon again. I'll blow your face off. That's not a fucking cat. And so this is like sort of a get, and and they let it ride for several issues too. That yes. Rocket was like, I'm mm-hmm. not staying on the ship with this cat. And then they oh open the door and it's laid like a bajillion eggs. And she was like, Okay, it might be a flurkin. <laughs> so honestly, I don't blame them for turning uh-huh. Chewie into Goose and putting him in the movie and all that stuff. But the gag yeah. in the comic was like a thousand times oh better. It was just a much better payoff. That's definitely, definitely very good. Although I, I do like the cat here. The cat is very cute. Um, I love, I love Talos. I love Talos. Man. I love. I think that everything that we don't get in Carol, we get in Talos. Talos has stakes. He has emotion. You can see what he's fighting for. You see his family when he sees his kid. Oh my God! Like the whole thing. That is the most emotionally resonant moment of the whole movie, and that should tell you something. If it doesn't involve your protagonist, then that's a problem. But Talos is great. I love that moment where he says, "Carol, this is war. My hands are filthy from it too." Jesus Christ breaks my heart. Oh, man. So Talos is Captain Squirrel America. Oh, he's amazing. And I love him and I want him in everything. I want him in everything. I just love him. Um, I, You know, the getting back up montage uh, with Carol when she finally has this realization, you know, that she gets back up, that that's what she does. I actually kind of liked that. It's not as good as the original, you know, um, scene from Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the finale, but it's good. You know, I mean, they clearly stole it from Buffy, but it's it's a good moment. Like, I, I like that where she keeps getting back up. The thing that would give that the edge over Buffy's to me mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. they laid track for every single one of those get back up scenes earlier <laughs> in the movie and <laughs> not like right on top of each other. Like they, you know, they piecemealed yeah. them out so that it was revisiting something before instead of just a get back up montage. That that's pro- pro- also you're yeah, not going to give it to this stuff- movie because you hate this movie. If any of this stuff was good <laughs> from before, then all right, oh, fine. Sh- but hey, friends, it's going to be OK. Just, it's going to be okay. We'll get through this. All right. Before we get into the big argument of the day, which is the overpowered bullshit, 
Do you have anything that you want to say <laughs> to to talk about what you like about this movie, what works for you? Because I realize that I have run this whole conversation with my view that this is just a terrible movie. And I have to say, I do like it better now than I did when I originally saw it in the theater. When I originally saw it in the theater, I was so annoyed by the time things got good that I didn't even care. This time, I was like, by the time things got good, I was like, okay, no, this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and I was able to appreciate the things that that were good. Um, I, I mean, I don't know that I have much more to say. I, I think I kind of actually, just in contrast, laid out that the stuff mm-hmm. that, for whatever reason, does not work for you just, I mean, Oh, because it it's bad. That's why it doesn't work for me, though. It's, it's going to be okay, friends. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. All right, let's get into Overpowered. Here is, I'm just going to lay it out for you, and then you can make your rebuttal, all right? She's locked up. Her power destroys the cuffs, blasts through the guys, and through the hull of the ship, and this is her power when it is dampened. Mm-hmm. Her hands are basically blasters. She mm-hmm. can fight, she can fly, she can fall from space onto a blockbuster video and get up and be just fine. Mm-hmm. She can make an interstellar holographic communication device from a phone booth and a radio shack. She can jump onto a moving elevated train. She can punch a hole in the hood of that train. She can spot a crawl passing as a human immediately. She's a human lie detector. She can make a pager that has multi-galaxy range. There's no part of her body that cannot glow and generate lasers. She can fall from space and be just fine when she hits the Earth. She can fly from space just on her own power. She can stop a nuclear warhead and throw it back into space just by herself. She can fly in space through spaceships and not a fucking scratch on her. Her powers take nothing out of her. And this is the real problem is that she can use these powers without consequence there is nothing she doesn't get tired she doesn't get scratched up i bet this bitch does not even get cramps in her past told she can't do stuff then she just you know fucking does it she can do everything except quote unquote control her emotions except that we're constantly told that and not shown it but the most important thing about being overpowered is that the protagonist and the antagonist are not matched in power as soon as she takes that thing off her neck and realizes her power there is nothing that can touch her and this is why she's so bad in Endgame, which is a discussion we'll get to when we talk about Endgame oh, next that. week. Oh, fuck that! She's amazing in Endgame. She just kicks oh all the ass. God. We'll get to it in a couple she's weeks. She's even worse in Endgame. Even better. Oh, all the Jesus. Okay, we'll have that discussion um, when we get there. So, all of that's just superhero shit, man. That's just no, superhero shit. No, dude. it's not. Captain wait, wait, America wait. can't do that. Tony Stark can't do that. Hulk can't do that. Thor can't do that. Uh, Hulk Everything could do that 99% she does, of that. Not true! Hulk can't fly into space and then run his body as it glows with lasers through a spaceship, destroying it and not having to he scratch on himself. Fly. Somebody would Hulk have to throw ha- him at the spaceship. Hulk has consequence. Cap has consequence. These well, people get hurt. Banner Tony bleeds inside the. Okay, fine. <laughs> These people bleed. It. Iron Man bleeds inside the the uniform if he actually gets hit. Like these people have consequences. They get tired. They get worn out. Their powers can only go so far, which is why they have to work as a team. Captain Marvel can do everything without consequence. There is no limit to her power. There is no limit to what she can do, and it never she never gets hurt. I'm telling you that's superhero shit. No, it's not. I don't buy that. That's bullshit. Every other superhero cannot do things that like without I can, limit i can rattle off 15 or 20 without can trying. do things without limit yeah go ahead 
Really? Okay. Oh, wow. I will this tell is you like they're Roxanne. overpowered. If they can do it without limit, oh, I will also thing. argue that I don't actually believe that they can be overpowered. I, think I that appreciate that, but you're wrong. A matter it's a bad, of. Okay. Maybe for a superhero, overpowered isn't a discussion that you have like within the, but for a character in a narrative, it is horrible. It is bad. If there's nothing that can hurt them, why do we care? If they are invulnerable, if they can just do whatever they want, whenever they want, without consequence, why do we care? You hit them in their vulnerabilities. Which was what for her? She has none. None physical vulnerabilities, no emotional vulnerabilities. She She's does. Got She's a lost she person. Not. I know you're not buying into You're not buying into it. So you're not. Because they didn't sell it. So let's not talk about Captain Marvel specifically, since we will never <laughs> agree right. on her. Let's and argue about broadly, superheroes. not even superheroes. Mm-hmm. Protagonists cannot necessarily under most circumstances be overpowered yes, because all can. protagonists have protagonist powers it depends on the story that they're in for instance james bond would be overpowered in a john le Carre novel that's why he's not in them harry potter one not even harry potter bring fucking i don't know i don't know <laughs> harry potter enough to grab some rando ron <laughs> let, it, let it be fucking yes. ron listen not the comedic relief <laughs> I mean, somebody who is just like below average, not somebody who's a joke, right? So we'll okay. make it Ron. So Ron, wait, no, what is what is your argument here? Give me your argument. Ron Where? shows up in Middle Earth. He's suddenly the most powerful wizard in the world. Okay, but Ron's not in Middle Earth. Exactly. Ron is in Hogwarts where he is right. not overpowered because not the people who are fighting him yeah. are equally powered. That is not the case here. This is why it's a bad character. Uh, we're not talking about Captain Marvel specifically because we no, disagree on uh, whether or not she has vulnerabilities. So broadly, protagonists have protagonist powers, which are whatever they need to win by the end. Assuming it's the kind of story where, you know, the protagonist wins. I recognize as a noir fan, I recognize <laughs> there are plenty of stories where the protagonist doesn't win. But yes. if it's the kind of one where protagonists win, they're all going to have exactly enough power in order to win in the end. That's First of how all, they're protagonist have- powers work. They're going to have just enough power to win in the end, and it will come at a consequence. It will come at a cost Maybe. to them. Maybe. And, and they will have struggled for it. Captain Marvel, and I know this is an argument, but whatever. Like When I'm talking about this, I'm talking specifically Captain Marvel is absolutely overpowered because there is no consequence for her using all of this wild galactic power that she has. There's no consequence. There's nothing coming from her. Why does anybody care? There's no consequence when Captain America picks up heavy shit. Captain America, yes. First of all, there is a consequence for Captain America because every single person that he hits, he feels that. He does not like hurting people. He does what he has to to protect people. I think that depends on the person. And he has a very, very strong sense of ethics and personal responsibility. But you're talking about power level. It doesn't Power cost level, him anything no, but, to lift but heavy he's shit. Just, he's just, he's got a shield and he's got a strong sense of ethics and he's a little bit stronger than your average person. I mean, that's it. He gets hurt. He bleeds. He cannot jump and fly into space and shoot lasers out of his eyes, cutting a spaceship in yeah, half. because he's got he a different story. do it. That's he's not got his a different story. set of powers. His powers are not that powerful. None of their powers are that powerful. Captain Marvel is over fucking powered. Do not go Google the people that did the Bottom math line. on how strong Captain America would have to be to move that helicopter. 
Okay, whatever. It's I'm not the saying. same as Captain Marvel. And Captain they Marvel, rise to the we level don't that their have story villains. Requires. We don't have villains who can match her. If we had villains who could match her, who could knock her down a peg or two, then fine. But that's not what you have. Yeah, that's that's not the point. That is the point. No. What's the point? There's no struggle there. If it's not hard, then there's no point to the story. It's bad narrative. The rediscovery of her identity was the vulnerability. Which she doesn't care about. Which we don't agree on. That's why I don't want to talk about Captain Marvel. I'm okay. saying it's all all power but level. Captain Marvel is my main example of what overpower does to a narrative. Okay, it's well, that's why we can't have a conversation about it. Because we disagree so vehemently about Captain Marvel. But the bottom line is, scale of the genre or the story is what mm-hmm. declares how much power the protagonist should or can have. And the MCU was desperately in need of a level up. And Captain Marvel is it. And I'm fine with that, like as a world building thing, but also as a as a broader picture, protagonist mm-hmm. powers are protagonist powers like they are what they are. And if you start yeah. like playing a shell game and putting people in different scales, then, of course, they blow the scale apart. But within the terms of their own story. In the terms of their own story. No, when you're up against somebody who has the same level of power that you do and it's a struggle to win, then that win means something. If the win is just, oh, I'm just going to, it's just another Tuesday, I'm just going to blow lasers out of my eyes and shut this shit down. Like, that's that's nothing. It's not hard. It's not challenging. And it doesn't do what a story needs to do, which is to challenge our protagonist. This should be... No, that I can agree with. Very hard. All right, good. We got something. That I can agree with. I mean, that mm-hmm. is part of why way too many writers who should know better mm-hmm. act like Superman is really hard to write. Because they just want to give him bigger shit to lift or somebody mm-hmm. tougher to punch. And that's like, that's not what you do to Superman. You gotta you hit him in his actual vulnerabilities. Right. Not, you know. And uh, and look, so you don't feel that Carol's vulnerabilities were sold. And I do. And we fundamentally mm-hmm. disagree. And that's why I just think we're never going to meet on the road of Captain Marvel. But I'm just, I mean, I just do not buy the concept of overtower, overpowered protagonist I absolutely do anybody can be overpowered it's usually a protagonist when it happens but anybody can be overpowered if the power level doesn't match between the two people who are fighting then it's not an interesting fight this is really only ever a problem in superhero stories especially mm-hmm. when you suddenly have to justify somebody like captain america or batman being around when thanos or dark side shows up that's mm-hmm. really the only time that it's a problem. Every other time, it's just like, yeah, people are pretty fucking powerful around here. We're superheroes. <laughs> yeah, if the villains match that power. But anyway, all right, we've had the argument. I don't think we're ever going to agree on it. People are probably really sick of hearing me talk about it. So I'm going to move into favorite part. Tell us what you what? think, listeners. <laughs> oh, don't think for a moment they won't. You know we're going to be hearing about this on Discord. Anyway, Joshua, what is your favorite part of Captain Marvel? Okay, I have two. They're like, yes. right, right. I need both of them okay. uh, because one is the be quiet, emotional, like big emotional center is when uh, Maria is telling Carol who she really is, mm-hmm. you know, and then if you yeah. can somehow and somehow my brain does this combines that moment with the moment that uh, Carol does the big flashy punch into her own palm and Ronan is like, well, we're done. <laughs> Super love that shit. Love that shit. All right. Awesome. Awesome. What about yourself? I love it. Um, I actually, I have, I, it's sometimes hard for me to choose. Um, I love 
I think Talos. I think Talos is my favorite He's part. He's very Talos good. Talos is my favorite thing in this whole movie. Um, I love, but especially him being re- reunited with his family. Um, how sweet. And that actor who managed to, I believe it's Ben Mendelsohn, actually yes. managed to sell that with all of that makeup on, made me feel so deeply for him and his loss and then that reunited moment. I mean, it was just amazing. And aside from that, it's it's a toss-up between the cat and all the 90s tech. You know how I am about tech. I do, but also, I'm watching this movie going, how the fuck did we live? Like, that is just right? an, I know. I mean, I can, like, look further back to before computers yeah. and go, okay, I get it. And I yeah. look to now when it's like, computers, ubiquity, and everything's yes. connected. But this mm-hmm. middle fucking space where I'm like, yeah, it was pretty goddamn terrible. Great. It's pretty it's not great. What's it doing? It's loading. And you know what? I started a CD in 1995 that's still fucking loading. It's probably an AOL CD. Probably came in a comic book. Oh, I remember those. Oh, so many. <laughs> our our right. landfills are filled to brim with AOL CDs. Oh, and will be for centuries to come. Probably <laughs> maybe even longer. Let's not think about it. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich, and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the not-overpowered producer level. <laughs> These people are the reason why Listen Up, A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our May producers, Abigail, Alice, Crimson Glass, Erica, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, Shelley, and April. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. You, much like Captain Marvel, have nothing to prove to anybody. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or end it. The war, the lies, all of it. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Avengers Endgame and possibly just as much mommy and daddy fighting. It might be. (laughs) Until then, you call me young lady again and I'm going to put my foot in a place it's not supposed to be. Am I supposed to guess where that is? It's your ass. (laughs) 